Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this hump day before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Eve. <laughs> we have made it. We are here. The uh, final broadcast prior to Thanksgiving. Today, we're all around for that, and but we're going to be doing a remote on Friday. We'll be downtown Jackson at Carter Jewelers for Great Black Friday Savings. Huh. The C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Do not text and drive. Speaking of <laughs> the C Spire text line, this reminded me a bit of uh, a conversation, I guess you could call that, on uh, Twitter that occurred that tagged me, Representative Fred Shanks and Congressman Michael Guess. You recall, a couple of days ago, they were here in the Element Well Studios, and we sort of made an executive decision at game time to have both the congressman and the representative on the show, on the air, simultaneously. <laughs> I thought it would be interesting. And it was, in my view. I thought it was good, uh, good conversation. And uh, the congressman, the representative, on the show for an hour and a segment. And then Representative Shanks hung around for another segment. So we kind of... We covered a lot of ground on uh, what's happening up in Washington, what uh, we can expect. Same for the state with the legislature going back down there to the Capitol pretty soon here, about six weeks or so, maybe a little less. But And if you missed it, it's on the Super Talk YouTube page. You can see the whole conversation. Exactly. Thank you. So Representative Shanks happened to tweet that with a link to the discussion and to the uh, the YouTube Super Talk YouTube uh, of the uh, the the link to the YouTube uh, video of the interview hour in a, in a segment. So uh, there's someone who regularly trolls me on Twitter, 
His name is Jay Allen, 1985. And he always has the photo of a dog as his profile photo. Cute dog. It looks like maybe it's a bulldog? Black and white? I can't tell. Kind of small. And his title, typically his moniker, is always something sort of clever. This one is... The present one is, when are the judicial runoff candidate forums? Kind of random, I would say. Uh, anyhow, he goes on to say, I'm assuming it's a he. It's J. Allen, 1985. Don't really know. Says, I find that the conversation in political roundtables is usually more stimulating when the participants are not all from the same party. And he, of course, like I said, tagged myself, your humble host here, along with Fred Shanks, Representative Fred Shanks, Congressman Michael Guest. So, my friend Grant Callen, the CEO of Empower Mississippi, he tweeted an interesting response. He said, I feel certain that we could twist my arm into including you in a radio roundtable. Heck, I'd volunteer to be your conservative counterpart. When are you available? (laughs) And I said, you know, I probably could make that happen. (laughs) I just might be able to make that happen. Representative Shank said, I'm sure we can arrange. But we never heard any response. The snarkiest people on social media don't actually want to have a conversation. They just want to be snarky for the sake of snark, so they get their little dopamine rush. This guy, I've had him muted for years. He offers absolutely nothing of value to the conversation, so why read it? I thought I remember you telling me that, that you muted him. So Grant Callen goes on to say, one of the most vocal people on Twitter... Yet he goes silent whenever he's invited to do anything in person. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> You're not surprised, are you? <laughs> uh, someone named Spencer Ritchie says, uh, by the way, just commenting on the show, said, true, but even when we disagree, again, commenting in this thread, He brings, I believe he's talking about me, but I'm not sure. He brings factual honesty to this platform, and for that I'm grateful to him. I'm grateful to you, Spencer, for stating that. Uh, Truly am. But, you know, I I like his idea, honestly, Rhino. I'd be happy. We we would easily accommodate. Would we not? We'd like to have. It's not like we have an anti-liberal policy. Exactly. Come in the studio. We'll bring someone who likely does not align with your views, and I'm happy to moderate as well and and offer commentary. I think that'd be good. It'd be fun. It'd be good radio, as they say. We're We're not afraid of that whatsoever. So to this individual whom you told me I forgot that you muted, come on. I'm extending a personal invitation. And Grant, if you're listening, same for you, of course. You folks are welcome. 
Rhino will set you up in the chairs there. We'll plug in the uh, headsets and position the mics, and off we'll go. We'll do that, won't we? Rhino? Oh, yeah. No problem. Yeah, it's nothing personal. I just have limited time in the day and don't want to read his nonsense, so <laughs> mute. That's the beauty of social media. That's why I don't fully wrap my head around cyberbullying. A bully is face-to-face. Cyberbullying is online. There are options called block and mute where you don't even see it. It just doesn't come up anymore. <laughs> Thomas in Greenwood says, Russ Latino and I are still trying to figure out who he is. He has to be a somebody, in quotes. He knows too much to be some rando. Yeah, I, I'm not really passing any judgment here on this person's intellect whatsoever. Uh, but they made uh, an, assert- an assertion that, hey, the conversation would be more stimulating, is the word used, when the participants are not all from the same party. Okay. We got no issue bringing in people from different parties. And, and Is he I, taking umbrage with the fact that I titled it Round Table? <laughs> That's true. But it was. I mean, when you, I, I would submit when you've got more than two people. It seemed a bit would, precocious to call it a forum. Oh, I agree. I agree. Wouldn't be that. But a round it certainly table. wasn't a convention. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Pardon me. I bumped the mic there. But three, I think. Around the uh, Element Wealth set here <laughs> works for me. But come on, whoever this person is, you've got a personal standing invitation to join us. And Rhino and I, I think I can speak for him, assure you that it will be civil, respectful, and I think. It would also be engaging, and we're happy to make that happen. So that that's the deal here, though, isn't it, Rhino? It just seems like, and, and from what I can tell based on tweets from this individual, and in particular those who follow and liked his tweet in this case, it's pretty clear they're left-leaning. Would you agree? Seems like it. And so I guess what I'm saying is, We don't have an issue with them expressing their opinion and their views. We don't seek, which is what I think was the implication here of the the tweet. We don't seek to suppress their their speech, their, their expression of their views. We're happy to have an honest civil debate about the differences in uh, in positions. In worldviews, no, no issue with that whatsoever. Let's do it. I think our audience would benefit from that. We would all benefit from that. Instead of going to our corners and living in echo chambers, I'm all for that. But what they seek, it seems to me, talking about the left, is suppression of the other side's views. Coming right back with Captain Chris Turnipseed, the director of Mississippi Highway Patrol Public Affairs Division. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. That seems to be the anthem every time we have the captain in the studio. I can't drive 55. Back when the speed limit was 55. Joining us now in the Element Well Studios, Captain Chris Turnipseed. Uh, Captain Turnipseed is the director of the Mississippi Highway Patrol Public Affairs Division. It is Thanksgiving, Captain. And uh, everything that I see says folks are going to be traveling a lot. Yes, sir. Good morning, Gerard. I'm keeping my eye on Rhino back here. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> yeah, we've got traveling. Well, we've got folks traveling a lot right now. I think uh, I've seen an uptick in uh, traveling, you know, starting even on Monday. Uh, we started our travel period this morning at 6 o'clock as, as far as statistics goes. And we'll keep up with the enforcement statistics between this morning at 6 and we'll conclude that on Sunday at midnight, but we're hoping, we're aiming for a a happy and a safe and hopefully a fatality-free uh, Thanksgiving period. Last year we had a, we had five uh, fatal crashes, so uh, those those are never good, especially around the holidays. But we would sure like to get that down to, to around the number zero. So, is, does most of the travel, Captain, occur today? Or tomorrow, and then on Sunday, what? What? How does that shake well, out? Traditionally, you know, usually your peak times are usually the day before the holiday, and then at the end of the holiday, at the end of that weekend of that holiday weekend, people usually, you know, when they come into town for Thanksgiving, they usually stay Thursday, Friday, and then you know, if they're they're visiting, you know, they're probably not going to go home to about Sunday. So we try to uh, we try to get the holiday period around just. You know, when we think the max peak times are uh, the day before and then, you know, at the end of that weekend. But I will say this, though, you know, school uh, colleges have the extended break, though, so we have seen some have seen some uptick in traffic uh, flowing up and down the highways. I know we've got a uh, Egg Bowl this weekend, so I'm sure traffic will pick back up uh, on Thursday for that. And uh, we're just going to be out there, and we're going to be doing our jobs, and we're just going to be doing the best we can to uh, make sure everybody's safe. Yeah. So I wonder, though, if certainly in the in the urban areas, Captain, uh, where they're on the interstates and the highways, you do have the K-12 schools off. And I can just tell from just traveling in the area that uh, the roads are a bit less congested, certainly at those peak times in the morning and the afternoon. So maybe that helps out a bit. What's the message, as always, uh, sir, to the traveling public? Man, we have that same message uh, pretty much every holiday. And uh, the message is never going to change. It's always going to be the same one, is to slow down, put that seatbelt on, uh, don't drink and drive. Of course, you're going to have... You know, celebrate with some kind of beverage over the holiday. Get get a designated driver. Uh, of course, you know we don't want any distracted driving out there too. Put down those phones and you know pay attention uh, to the roadway and what's going on the road. You don't take but a second to look down and then you look up and uh, there's somebody there, somebody stopped or somebody pulled out and you know it's just, it's too late then because if you just had your eyes on the roadway, you might have had time to react. So. Yeah. That that is a that is a big problem. But those are those are the messages. Those are the best things uh, that we want people to do is is pretty much the same message we always have. And I know, uh, as you indicated, the Egg Bowl tomorrow in Oxford, and of course, lots of folks will be traveling in the state uh, for that, which is a six o'clock uh, kickoff. Uh, is scheduled to rain. It looks like in the forecast. Just how bigger of a problem does it become on our roads when they're wet like that? <laughs> 
Well, we got some jokes around usually, I mean, <laughs> about rain, but it usually doesn't take much uh, moisture on the road. If, you know, if people don't adjust their driving habits, then, you know, they're they're off the road, they're hydroplanes, uh, especially in that first, you know, couple of hours of weather. Usually when it's been raining a couple of days or something, people have time to adjust uh, to it and, and things kind of uh, even out, uh, smooth out a little bit. But usually your initial rainfall is usually when we see most uh, most of our crashes. And, uh, you know, if it's raining and the speed limit says 55, you know, that don't mean you can go, you should be going 55 or it says 65 or 70. Speed limit's there, is, you know, there for ideal conditions. And definitely if it's raining, it's not going to be a deal. And, you know, you've got some low places and highways where water collects and it don't take, but, you know, just a half of, a quarter of an inch of water uh, to make that tire lose traction and, and your car can uh, skid off the roadway. So especially slow down for that. And, you know, you're talking about traffic conditions. you got Black Friday coming up, too. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a busy day. People are going to be out trying to get those deals. Uh, I expect, you know, Saturday will be a, another busy shopping day. People are trying to get uh, get things uh, ready for Christmas. You know, we can't, you know, we've, we've moved the Christmas holiday up now all the way to the day after Halloween. Yeah. Halloween yeah. Now. So the sales have started and yeah. I've started getting the papers and started seeing the internet ads and uh, people will be out shopping. You know, you know, we're, we're coming out of this, all this COVID stuff and people are getting out and mingling and mixing and, and doing things pretty much like we used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I expect a pretty busy uh, travel period, a pretty busy holiday uh, this week. Something else that I'll just share. I don't know if it's necessarily the highway patrol's purview, but especially when the roads are wet, make sure you you got good tread on your tires. I I took mine in yesterday because I felt like I needed a wheel alignment, and uh, I didn't. You know, I don't inspect my tires as closely closely as I should. But at the tire store there, they they showed me where there was wear on the wall where you could see the wires. And in fact, what the rep said is. Uh, I wouldn't drive this vehicle anymore if I were you. Definitely, uh, tire pre- uh, tire uh, uh, the tread on the tire makes all the difference in the world in inclement weather. Also, another thing is tire pressure. A lot of people don't understand how how, how tire pressure comes into uh, play uh, when driving, especially on, on wet roads. You know that you, your, your tires have a maximum a lot of air pressure and i'll be honest with you they usually don't ride the best when you've got them at max air pressure right but they do get the best uh, traction on the roadways when you got that that tire uh completely expanded to its maximum potential you just got more surface area on the road so it gives you more traction in rain we always we run our uh patrol car tires always at max pressure you just you get like i said the ride's not the greatest and a lot of people like that real cushy ride and it yeah. doesn't make it that much harder but yeah you can tell a little bit of difference on the cracks and the stuff in the road you can kind of pick up pick up those inputs and your steering wheel when it hits it but it does give you a lot better traction on the roadway so i would recommend if you know if somebody's serious about driving in the rain and wants you know the most possible the safest thing possibly have their car mm-hmm. is go ahead and flake, get get your uh, do it yourself or you know get your your service guy to make sure you got max air pressure You're, you can run those tires. Yeah, it's good it's good advice, but it's, it's especially an issue uh, you can tell you know when it's wet and you and you apply the brakes you don't quite get the traction when those uh, tires are worn as you do with uh, better conditioned tires. I, I got to share this with you and get your take on it. So not far from where we are right here, I was traveling on 55 North, approaching the county line exit. And I noticed that it's three lanes right there, and it was reasonably congested. And I noticed the vehicle in front of me very abruptly swerved. Uh, we were in the leftmost lane and swerved and, and almost struck the concrete barrier. And I wondered why that happened. And in an instant, 
I figured it out. There was a person walking across the interstate there with a lot of traffic and was literally standing atop the, uh, the, the lane, the broken lane, the broken white lane there on the stripe as if waiting for the traffic to clear to continue passing. And I then had to swerve and almost hit the concrete barrier, but also just barely missed the individual. i got to tell you, my heart pounded after that. Are people doing this around the state? Uh, well, not – it's funny that you asked me that. Uh, I have – I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know, necessarily know around here in, in Jackson because we don't uh, – usually patrol in the city limits of Jackson. Yeah. But there has been an uptick to me. I've noticed, you know, I get always get a copy of all of our our fatal accident reports and a cop, you know, we've got a information group among the PAOs across the state and anytime we have an incident happen, you know, a, a fatal crash or uh just a major incident come, we always keep each other informed of what's sure. going around the state. I I have seen an uptick of pedestrian crashes across Mississippi. It's just it's odd. I don't know that if that's something that's just started happening more here recently, I, I really started pushing in the last year or so, you know, making sure we're a lot more vocal in our department about communicating so we can all be informed on what's going on. Because we use a lot of this information we share in a lot of our, our safety presentations we sure. do in schools and stuff. So I want all the guys from the top, from me down to the bottom to know this is what's happening, you know, around the state. So I have no, we started sharing that being a lot more, uh, uh, but you know, intentional about sharing that information, and I have noticed a lot of a lot of more pedestrian crashes. I've also here recently a lot of more like school bus uh, crashes involving school wow. buses too, and uh, those are just problems that are one hundred percent complete completely avoidable. You know, if people were just paying attention hmm. to what's going on. Hmm. Wow. Well, uh, it scared me, and it scared me for the individual that was attempting to cross. Uh, that's obviously extremely dangerous, and we don't recommend anybody doing that. No, don't play Frogger on, on, oh, on the interstate. Gosh. That, just, that was so. crazy. Uh, uh, before we go, just a few seconds, everybody, all hands on deck for the weekend. Set we'll, the normal drill. We'll, we'll have everybody. We can get out there, and we'll have some extras because of our overtime uh, details and stuff. So we'll, we'll be out there uh, properly represented, I can assure you. As always, we are so grateful for the service of the men and women uh, that serve in the Highway Patrol to keep our roadways and the, and the motoring public safe, sir. Thank you so much to yes, them. Sir. Thank yes, you for coming on. Yes, sir, Jar. Thank you for letting us get on here and share our message. You Everybody be safe. Everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, indeed. We'll step aside for a break right here on Middays. Coming right back. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our shop on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Fogarty and CCR bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We're in the Element Well Studios. Coming up at 11.05, Brian Haydad, co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll, I'm sure, jaw a little bit about the Egg Bowl, and then uh, we'll engage in some discussion, including Rhino, our resident expert, 
on all things World Cup soccer in Qatar or Qatar, whichever pronunciation you're comfortable with. <laughs> oh, jeez. Some been an upset or two, hasn't there? Oh yeah, you had uh, Saudi Arabia upsetting Argentina, who has one of the world's best players in Messi. Yeah, and then this morning Japan went down to Germany one nil, and then stormed back to win two one. Wow. Yeah, Lionel Messi. If I'm not mistaken, Rhino, I looked this up before. Highest paid athlete on the planet. I do believe he has that title right now because Ronaldo's kind of fallen off. But yeah. It's been quite a time to be a soccer fan during the era of Ronaldo and Messi because okay. you go back in the history of soccer, and I'll make this brief because I know yeah. there aren't many people that are really into soccer, and then there are even less people really into the history of it. But you, you look back at the history, and you have these these eras of great players, individual players that stood out above the rest. And an American analogy would be like Michael Jordan just being head and shoulders better yeah. than the competition. And then the competition catches up. Well, you think back to history, you got the, the Brazils of the world with Pele in the 70s where he's head and shoulders above the rest of the competition and creativity and skill and speed. And then you have Argentina in the 80s with Maradona yep. and his famous runs at the World Cup. And then in the 90s, you had... A bigger push for British players, and you had people like David Beckham really become the star of the stage. And then along comes Messi and Ronaldo, and both of them are incredibly talented and breaking all kinds of records. It's just something unseen before. Hmm. And now they're in their twilight years of their career, and this may be the last chance for Messi to win a World Cup, because he's never won one. Well, he's, uh, I think last I checked, and Forbes says he's making eighty million, just his basic salary. His net worth six hundred million. Oh yeah, because he gets just a boatload of endorsements and spokesperson gigs. He well, think a- about it. You watch commercials during any sporting event or on ESPN or anything, and, and you have the basketball stars or the football stars or the baseball stars or, or different stars selling you stuff. Yeah. You even got like people like Tiger Woods were selling Gillette razors along with Federer and stuff. So you have this this spread of marketing across all these different sports and stars. Around the rest of the world, soccer is number one, and then it's just a whole bunch of random sports competing for number two. Wow. Like you have soccer stars selling you stuff, and then... In some countries, you might have the occasional cricket star selling you something. Well, you know, if he's earning money by serving for those companies, which he's serving as a spokesperson for or endorsing their products, they have more power to him. That's oh, great. Yeah. And and let me be clear. I got no problem with the amount of money. I've made this clear before. What I have an issue with is the left in this country always directs their Income inequality garbage at those dirty, dastardly, evil, wicked corporate CEOs. Why don't they ever talk about a Lionel Messi? Which, by the way, I got no issue with the amount of money here. Obviously, somebody is able to make the economics work. That's the way it is. The market has spoken. What do they say? The voters have spoken. Well, the market has spoken. That's the way it should work. And the market has a certain amount of balance. I mean, to use a soccer team as an analogy, there's a Spanish club called Real Madrid. 
and their business model for years was to just spend gobs of money on the biggest names out there. Even if they didn't really make a great team, you still had the big names, which meant you were selling tons of jerseys and and recouping your expenses in merchandise sales and ticket sales and rights fees and stuff. And it, it worked for a while because they were getting the best players in the world possible. Wow. But eventually, you needed some team chemistry when, again, the rest of the world catches up. Sure. And they've kind of fallen off. Well, between, It's a balancing act. According to Forbes, salary bonus, $875 million is what he's earned in his career, and $350 million from endorsements for a total of $1 billion over his career. Kicking a soccer ball, but... And being the world's best at it. Right, and and generates enormous economic activity as a result. But the... Uh, it also helps that he seems to be a sincerely, genuinely good dude. I've heard that. Like there was a, a post on social media, it's been years ago now, that went viral of some little kid in some war-torn country that had used a, a blue plastic grocery bag to make a homemade Messi jersey. And Messi did everything in his power to find the kid, found him, sent him jerseys with his stuff, sent his family money to help him get off their on their feet, and just genuinely a good dude. Yeah. And it, it's good to see when they ascend to that level of fame and, and fortune that they, they don't forget, and they're just charitable, generous people. I honestly think most are. I really do. Oh, yeah. There are tons of schools across Africa and in the Middle East that were built entirely on donations from soccer players. And I think in general, though, it, don't you think that's true with uh, other sports, athletes, and oh, other yeah. sports? So many of them are, are very generous, very charitable, have foundations, etc. Just do a lot of good things across the spectrum of sports. Now, some of them got a chip on their damn shoulder, and they're constantly bashing this country, and everything's just evil and wicked, and uh, and the world just isn't right, and Americans are fundamentally racist, and all the various phobisms and stuff. But I think most of them are good people. I really do. I, I prefer to see that and 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 think about those who are. Speaking of which, you know, yesterday I I got pretty fired up about some of this crap that's going on down in our in our schools, and it's not just public schools, private schools may be the most woke in the country. And the radical gender ideology that is being thrust upon students as young as kindergarten, and we shared with you a number of accounts from across the country where school districts and individual schools have adopted some of this crap into their curricula and and are requiring their their teachers and administrators to complete all of this crazy training so that they can and then teach it and instruct on it to kids and of course the shooting at the LGBTQ club in Colorado Springs the I saw some interviews yesterday after the show where Folks over on uh, MSNBC are absolutely attributing it to uh, the right, 
suggesting that everybody on the right hates everybody that's gay. We, we talked about that yesterday. Well, now it's Ron DeSantis, because he's kind of risen to, to, the, to the level of being a potential candidate for president in the 2024 cycle. Well, it's his pushing the, the bill, which very simply, straightforwardly prohibits teaching of gender ideology and sexual content and and uh, other matters related to to gender and, and sex in classrooms uh, at the lower levels. And so now they're blaming it on him. He's now being attached. He's now being sucked in uh, sucked up into this argument that from the left, that it's it's that sort of legislation. So there's once again, there's no discernment, no nuance. If you're opposed to brainwashing and indoctrinating and exposing young children to the freak show, honestly, of uh, all this radical gender ideology stuff and this notion that there's no such thing as as uh, or the idea that there are only two genders is just white colonization. Well, then that means by some twisted association, you just you hate gay people and you want them to die. I even saw folks in social media saying that uh, they're Matt Walsh, who's been a very outspoken uh, conservative uh, journalist on the matter. He actually wanted more to die in the shooting. <laughs> They're attacking him on those grounds. You actually wanted more to die in there. You just hate, you want him dead. There's zero evidence of that. Zero. No discernment. So if you want to protect children from this, well, then you hate and you want people to die. When we come back, Robert Garcia used to work for DeSantis. I'm going to share with you his tweet. Stay with us. Systems the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Middays. So this is a tweet uh, first from, this guy's name's Robert Garcia. He is congressman-elect for the district that includes Long Beach, California. The city of Long Beach was the, uh, or is presently the mayor of Long Beach. So back to this whole gender stuff. And I think this is important because it absolutely is sweeping this country and is invading our public and private institutions. And again, let's be clear. Adults, 
got no issue. Knock yourself out. Whatever you want to do. Want to mutilate your body, essentially, and undergo all this rather radical sex change surgery, gender-affirming surgery, as it is called? Knock yourself out. But brainwashing children with this stuff, like we talked about yesterday, no, can't go for that. And performing mastectomies and hysterectomies and all these other sex change surgical procedures without a clinical medical reason? Just because you maybe think one day, like I saw one person say that their son didn't want to cut their hair and had an issue with that, a young son now. And so they considered that gender dysphoria and proceeded to with the gender-affirming surgery. Sounded crazy to me. This guy, Robert Garcia, back to him, congressman-elect in California, tweets, this is really the height of virtue signaling. Trans men are men. Trans women are women. Trans rights are human rights. Well, see, this is another situation where that's, of course, directed at folks on the right who they believe on the left just hate transgender people. We don't. I don't hate anybody. I try not to, honestly. That's what the good Lord says. I sin. I'm not perfect. We all do. And I think it's part of being a human that you will harbor some sort of ill, negative, hateful feelings towards other people, but simply because they're transgender? No. Like, by default, everyone who is gay or transgender, people on the right hate? No. Simply because this is, this is their logic, you oppose, again, pushing this crazy gender stuff on kids that by association, by some illogical attachment, you just hate everybody. That's part of the LGBTQ community. That's why we got to have a whole month of Pride Month, right? And all that other sort of stuff. And so this is virtue signaling garbage. That's what this is. What really shocked me was reading <laughs> the comments. So there's this one person, Dr. Foster. <laughs> it's her name. And I kid you not, Dr. Foster looks like a washed-up hippie from the 60s. She appears to be, I'm going to say, in her 70s, and has got the big earrings that they used to wear that kind of look like that. And I know that's popular today, so I'm not trying to stereotype, but the headband tied, you know, hanging down on the side deal with a, on the hair, which was very common attire for the hippies in the 60s. And uh, 
you know the person I who I shared with you, tune in, turn on, drop out, uh, Timothy Leary, professor at, I think, Berkeley. He was a, he was an LSD-pushing hippie. Anyhow, so li- listen to this profile on Dr. Foster. This is what it says, at Claire Foster, Ph.D., that is her, her Twitter handle. But the description, her profile says, anti-extremist, Maoist centrist. Wrap your head around that. Board, <laughs> you, wait, wait. you got to hear this. Board certified astrologist. There's a board that certifies astrologist? IQ of 169. <laughs> Clinton Fetterman, 2024. Do you need to know anything else about this person? No. (laughs) We're coming right back with Brian Haydad. Stay with us. Get ready. Get ready. To go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Rocking into hour two of the program on this hump day. Joining us now, the co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi, uh, one of them, Brian Haydad. Brian, what's going on, man? What's going on, Gerard? Happy Thanksgiving to you. Same to you, sir. You got your cowbell all warmed up, ready for the Egg Bowl tomorrow, I reckon. (laughs) I don't think they'll let me bring that into the press box. They they might look at me funny if I do that. (laughs) Well, it's here again. It's Thanksgiving evening at 6 p.m. kickoff. Set for that time in Oxford at Vaught-Hemingway. The uh, visiting Bulldogs will invade the Rebel turf there. I think it's setting up to be an entertaining affair. What do you think? Well, the Egg Bowl is always entertaining. It's, it's Very rarely is it a game that's just completely out of hand. It hasn't been one of those, what, in, I guess, five years. But even that game had its moments. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these are two teams that the last month of the season has not been kind to them. You know, for both State and Ole Miss, you know, got off to, to a fast start. Ole Miss was undefeated at seven and zero. State was five and one at one point, and now they're just kind of, you know, trying to trying to finish strong here. And, and obviously, you can't finish a lot stronger than than winning the Golden Egg Trophy. Yeah, no doubt about it. the The matchups, anything in particular uh, that you see about the matchups? I'll, I'll offer my just quick analysis first. I think quarterbacks like uh, Jefferson at Arkansas, whom, whom Ole Miss faced last week, and then Young at Alabama the week prior, I think they give a lot of trouble to Ole Miss's defense. Very mobile quarterbacks that can just take off and seem to be able to uh, skirt away and avoid uh, uh, sacks, which just seem to happen a lot in both games. They give Ole Miss defense a lot of trouble. But on the other hand, Will Rogers, different style quarterback. I mean, and, and it's a it's a quick hit, quick pass type offense that uh, on, honestly serves as kind of the running game to a great extent. 
uh, for Mississippi State. It's yeah. just quick hit, get the ball out in the flat or something, uh, and uh, just let somebody take it on the defenders up the field. It happens a lot. It's the way they kind of run the ball. Yeah. I mean, if mobile quarterbacks is the problem for Ole Miss, I have great news for you. Uh, you should be really happy. Well, well and I'm Gerard, not. I'm not trying Will to Rogers, be. He's not one. No, right. no, but it, it is what it is. Will yeah. Rogers is not a runner. He's a guy who wants to stand in the pocket and make throws. And this this season, you know, state hit, teams have started defending state differently. You know, last year or the past couple of seasons, it's been about look, we're not going to rush them. We're going to drop everybody into coverage, and then they won't be able to do anything. Well, Will Rogers got pretty good at beating those kind of defenses. And State figured out how to run the football a little bit, and that's why they were 5-1, and one, and it looked like they were moving right along. And then the Kentucky game happened, and Kentucky decided, okay, we're going to pressure Will Rogers, we're going to blitz, and we're going to make him make quick throws and try to beat us down the field, and they haven't been able to do that. Yeah. And they've gotten away from the running game. And offensively, these last four games, not counting last week with, with, with the FCS team, have not been good. And, you know, when I look at what's going to be the, the weather uh, tomorrow night in Oxford, it's like it's going to be a you know a sloppy track. That's a game where you think you'd run the football a little bit more, but I, I don't have any faith in State to do that. I feel like they're going to continue to throw the ball, and that's going to play right in Ole Miss's hands. And then the other side of the ball, you know, Ole Miss great running team, Judkins and Evans, two studs back there, and Dart can run as well. And State's had trouble stopping the run this year. So a lot of things working in Ole Miss's favor for this game. Well, I was going to say that as well. The, the weather probably as big a factor as I can ever remember in the Egg Bowl simply because you have one team that has a, a very strong and effective uh, running game. And, and of course, a, a wet track seems to favor a running offense. The other team relies more on the pass and, uh, and doesn't have, as we said, perhaps as mobile a quarterback and so, but so it's an on paper deal, right? But it's always that's just on paper because it's the egg bowl, and you got to sort of got to throw all the rules in the history uh, out the window. Uh, it's been my experience yeah. in watching a whole bunch of them through the years. That's kind of where we are. Uh, and then, of course, Ole Miss has. Let's let's talk about it. They've got this cloud hanging over the program with uh, the fate of head coach Lane Kiffin. That that has been. Yeah just uh, stressful for Ole Miss people, to say the least. Yeah, I think if all this wasn't ha- happening in the background, that Ole Miss would be a very solid favorite to win this football game. And they're still favored to win, and I still I think they're going to win, to be totally honest. But this has provided a window for Mississippi State where Ole Miss is distracted. I think you saw it last week at Arkansas that that team was not locked in the way that they should be going into that game. And if that's the case here on Thursday, that, that provides Mississippi State a big chance uh, to go into Oxford and, and to get a win because I agree, you know, there's a, there's obviously a lot going on uh, off the field in Oxford. And you and I are old enough to remember, you know, when this happened with, with Tommy Tuberville. And, of course, it happened a few years back with Dan Mullen. And when you have all these rumors swirling around, and it's a little different, obviously, because back then you didn't have, and with Tuberville, you didn't have social media. And even with Mullen, Mullen is not like Kiffin on social media. He's not going to get on there and stir the pot the way Lane has been doing this week. <laughs> but but it, there's there's obviously some distractions there, and so yeah. we'll see if Mississippi State can take advantage of that or not. I, I if they can't if they can't beat this Ole Miss team with these distractions around, I, I man, I don't know when Mike Leach is planning on beating Ole Miss. It may not be for a long, long time. Well, let's talk about Coach Leach. Uh, I don't think it's any secret, certainly in, in my orbit, in my circles, uh, lots of Mississippi State uh, friends, longtime uh, fans of the program, supporters of the program, 
they seem to be less than uh, totally satisfied with Coach Leach. What what do you hear? What do you think at this point? I don't think anything's going to happen this year. You know, I, I think you're right that there are a lot of Mississippi State fans who who aren't happy because of the way State has played these past few games. You know, when State was five and one coming off of those wins over A and M and Arkansas, everybody was really happy, really sure. on board. But then you lose, you know, three of your next four. And I know Alabama and Georgia are tough games. The Kentucky game is the one that stands out for everybody because it's now you see Kentucky's not really that good a team. You should have been able to beat them. And I think when you hire Mike Leach, you expect to lose games, but you don't expect to lose games where the offense isn't isn't clicking. You expect to lose, okay, if you lose 42-38 with a Mike Leach team, that's that's about what you expect, right? But State's been good enough defensively in almost every game this year to, to have won them, and especially against Kentucky. I thought they were good enough to win. The defense put points on the board, but State was just so poor offensively. Uh, and this offense, is it's taken a step back this year. Yeah. And when you consider that they brought back Will Rogers and all these receivers and all these running backs, there really wasn't a, a, a prediction to step back the way that they have. So that's the frustration with Leach is that in year three, this offense still is struggling to find its way. Yeah. You know, uh, also about the coaching ranks and just the, the, the coaching world in college football, it's big money. It's gotten crazy. Uh, where does it end? I mean, are we going to see uh, a salary of $100 million a year to a head coach here pretty soon in, somewhere in, the, in college football? That would likely be in the SEC where it seems like there's, there is uh, no limit to the amount that uh, wealthy fans are willing to pony up to just win on the field. Yeah, I, I think with, you know, with, if you made me predict what Kiffin's deal at Auburn that he's been offered is, it's probably close to $100 million in total. I'm sure most of it, if not all of it, is guaranteed the same way that Jimbo Fisher's deal is done. And this is one of those things, you know, I think that the, the law of the state of Mississippi that prevents longer than four-year contracts, a lot of times it helps because there there would have been some times where guys got extended and we those universities would be paying huge buyouts. Yeah, This is a time where it kind of hurts because at the end of the day, Ole Miss just can't offer as much money guaranteed over the long term that Auburn can because Auburn can offer an eight, nine, ten-year contract and Ole Miss can only offer a four-year contract. And, and that's a big deal at this point, I think, for Kiffin. The chance to get complete financial security, it, 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 there's something to that. Yeah. We would all take it. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, so uh, money is certainly a factor. And, you know, I, I've said this many times before, Brian, when the, these guys that coach these big-time programs, let's be honest, they're hired guns. And they come mm-hmm. in, they put the hat on, and, you know, the fan base just thinks, yeah, look at that. They're one of us. They they love it. You know? And, no. and they're loyal, and they're here, and, oh, gosh, this is never going to change. And then you realize, you know what? They can change hats pretty quick, and then, and it'll be the same story at the new program. Uh, you talked yeah, about – I mean – You talked about – go ahead. But uh, Tommy Turbeville, I'm going to well, tell you I mean, Look at in Mississippi State. Look at Mississippi State. The last two athletic directors have been alums, and they both left That's for other true. jobs. That's true. You know? I mean – you have an Ole Miss, like, with Matt Luke, probably never going to go anywhere. But you never know. I mean, if Matt Luke had come in at Ole Miss and had won eight, nine, ten games and been successful, still be very there. possible he could have gotten a bigger job offer. Yeah, well, but it's I, very possible he could have gotten a bigger job offer. I don't think he would leave. That's right. That's but the point. He could have. I, he I agree. He could have. would have had but, opportunities. But you've got a much better chance of holding on when they are an alum 
That's about yeah. the only distinction between that and just this running around hired hat nomad, which is what it is nowadays. And you know what? The rest of us, we're kind of the same way. I mean, we all have a price. <laughs> just yeah. That's the way the world works. Uh, we got a break on us right here. We're coming back. We got Brian Haydad, the co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi. Ooh, that song, Gerard. Goodness. <laughs> uh, Rhino's in charge. I don't control it. <laughs> coming right back. <laughs> Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. We're equal opportunity fight songs here on Middays. <laughs> <laughs> we were just yeah, talking, we're even now. <laughs> we were just talking earlier about uh, having having guests that come from the different sides of the political aisle on the program simultaneously. Same thing. Yeah. And, Same and, thing here. And we're we're happy to do that, by the way. So we're already I think I think this is far more civil. Than no, no what you get with Republicans and Democrats going at each other. That's uh, absolutely, totally true. Of course, we could do what they do in some of the Middle Eastern countries, right, Rhino? Just throw shoes and clothes around. <laughs> and you're, boom, here's a shoe for you. If I was in studio, Gerard, I'd take my shoe off and just fling it at you right now. <laughs> Richard threw a uh, – you're there at the desk. There, there used to be there, – they're always like a – Container of Clorox wipes, you know, to wipe yeah, down the desk yeah, when you yeah. get done. Yeah. I brought up the uh, the fourth and twenty five play one time. He threw that at me. <laughs> just just flung it right at me. Oh but, gosh, you're not talking about the Arkansas fourth and twenty. Is that I am. Yeah, I, I brought yeah. that up, well, and he, I, it, it, it affected him. I happen to uh, be. Uh, there in person, witnessing that <laughs> meltdown <laughs> broke my heart. God, I bet. Oh, so goodness. you know, back to this coaching deal. I, I got to share this with you. It, there was an egg bowl in Oxford. I'm pretty sure it was on Thanksgiving Day, and uh, Julie and I were lined up with the kids. Walk of Champions there. Here comes the coach leading the team at the tradition. You know about it. So it's Tommy Tuberville, yeah. and he's coming through, and I. You know, I was I, I knew him. I mean, he recognized me, knew my name. I did him, and he's coming through. And, and normally when he comes through, he's, he's high-fiving, shaking hands, and I'd always say, hey, good luck, Coach. He said, thank you, Gerard. You know, so this time he comes through, and he's like stone face. He's not engaging with the crowd. And he walks by, and I looked at Julia. I said, He's gone. This was the day before yeah. he left for Auburn. I said, he's out of here. He's yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we went, of course, into the stadium, and I think J.J. Johnson had about 2,000 yards or something <laughs> that particular day. He just ran all over. Yeah. And I want to say we were down to like our, our uh, uh, practice team, scout team quarterback, mm-hmm. And, like, Tuberville mm-hmm. didn't even know his name or something is what I was told yeah. by players that I knew on the David team. David Morris. That's right. You remember. But that's yeah. true, right? He was yeah. way down on the depth chart. Everybody else was yeah, hurt. Yeah, because Romero had gotten hurt the week before at Georgia. Yeah, that's and right. And I don't, I don't know who the other backup was, but he wasn't available either. Both and hurt. And they had to go to hit this kid. 
And no, I was convinced of that game, Gerard. Convinced. I was like, this kid is going to write his name in the book. David <laughs> Morris happen. throws for 500 yards. That no, didn't happen, it didn't thankfully, happen. for me. So. But you could tell, yeah. uh, regrettably, he was, he was gone. And then, of course, 10 o'clock the next morning, there he is on local television <laughs> live with the Auburn mm-hmm. banner behind him. And I promise yeah. you, Brian, the speech he delivered was the exact same virtually word-for-word speech. I saw him deliver at a little private gathering at the country club a couple of miles from here when Ole Miss hired him. Exact same speech. So you're the political pundit. Are we 20 years away from Senator Lane Kiffin? Is he following the same path? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I can't don't wait know. for Senator Lane Kiffin. I'll just go ahead and tell you. <laughs> That guy, he's got my vote. I'll put it that way. Uh, he would he would certainly be entertaining at a minimum, right? Yes. All right, so what do you think is going to happen with our coach? What's your gut feel? What are you hearing? It's just too much smoke at this point for me to not be a fire. I, th- I think Kiffin will be at Auburn by the week's end. If, I do, too. If not, by the after the, after the Iron Bowl, you know, just shortly after. Um, the fact that no other names have really popped. I mean, you've seen Freeze's name a couple of times, but nothing serious. It's it's just been Kiffin, Kiffin, Kiffin the past two weeks. There's just too much smoke for me. So I expect Lane Kiffin to be the next head coach at Auburn. So uh, I've heard that uh, Jimmy Sexton, who seems to have the absolute lock on all the major coaches, right, and some of the ADs as oh, yeah. well now, yeah. who, who gets money. paid very handsomely for his uh, representation, of his clients there, because mm-hmm. they're getting paid big money, and he's involved in the negotiations. Mm-hmm. It seems to me like he wants, he'd like to get Freeze back at Ole Miss and Kiffin at Auburn, because he gets a twofer that way. If if, yeah. if you see what I'm saying there, he gets two transactions, two deals. It'd be a great deal for, for Jimmy Sexton. Exactly. I, I have trouble seeing Hugh Freeze back in Oxford. Well, That's just, just me. Okay, It'd be so, great for content. I agree. But it would be. Now, I, I've been told by folks that are fairly close to uh, the center of the SEC universe that that he wouldn't be allowed to coach again in the SEC. Have you ever heard that before? I, I heard something like that. I think Alabama wanted to bring him on as like what an offensive coordinator Saban or something. can't get him hired. That, that was a few years ago. I think at this point, what you, whether or not you like the guy or not, the man, it feels like he's paid his penance, right, at this point. He's been out of the SEC for, this will be seven seasons. At, at some point, you, you know, you got to be willing to say he can come back. But that being said, I, I don't know if Ole Miss is the place for him to come back because of the way things ended there. I, I would, uh, you know, and I would think the fan base certainly, I don't know about the administration, Keith Carter, the folks involved in that uh, directly, the fan base best I can tell, is fairly split on that idea. Mm-hmm. Fairly split. I don't think that's to be expected. Yeah. Well, I mean, because when you win the way Freeze won at Ole Miss, people remember that. Sure. People, And especially nowadays, you know, you think about the NCAA stuff, all that stuff is legal now. You can pay guys through NLI and, and do whatever you want to do there. And, uh, NIL, not yeah. NLI. That's, yeah. that's, I always get those mixed up. <laughs> uh, so, so, I mean, that's just not an issue anymore. Yeah. So, if you feel like the other stuff that happened, whatever happened there, if you feel like he's that's not going to happen again and you feel safe about it, the man's a good coach. Yeah. He wins wherever he goes. Uh, good recruiter. Uh, of course, NIL's yeah. changed that game. So the other thing that, I, I, that I've heard uh, from someone who I'm fairly close to, 
that's fairly close to the Alabama program, and in particular, Nick Saban, okay, mm-hmm. uh, explained to me over the weekend that uh, Nick Saban may be stepping down at the end of the season. Oh, um, I don't see that happening. I, I don't either, but uh, so what I can say I is... I think this, Saban's got three four more years in You him. do? Okay. Well, uh, all, yeah. all the indications are that he really does not like the NIL. I think he's been uh, outwardly spo- outspoken about that. Because he, he has not? to be. That's... Yeah. that's you got to be. Sure. You can't, you know, this is the new way. You, if you come out and say things like, I'm against it and we're not going to participate, it's not going to get players. Yeah. Nick, Nick Saban is always going to do whatever he has to do to get players. He may not like it very much, but I think Nick Saban is the ultimate chameleon. He he, he can adapt and do whatever needs to be done. That's a good point. I mean, five, six years ago, that guy was you know was just running the football and playing defense. Now look at his offense. That's and, true. You know, he keeps up with the times. Yeah. So he may not like it, but... He'll he'll put he'll isolate himself from it. He'll just be like, "You guys get the players in here, and I'll recruit them." And I, you know, but what happens to get them here? I don't have anything to, to do with that. And he's at the point. You handle it. He's at the point in in his overall career, and certainly in his uh, legacy at Alabama, he can do that. Unlike a lot of other coaches, I think absolutely he, he he's got the stroke to do that. I just thought that was uh, was interesting. But I'm kind of with you. You know, my gut feel is that uh, that Lane takes off, and at this point, the way this thing's drug out, though, uh, Brian. No matter what his decision is, certainly in the short term, even if he stays, it's it's been a bit of a clown show, and I think there are a lot of people that are not happy with the way it's been handled. I, and, if he, and if he leaves, you know, he's the worst SOB that ever walked. You know how that goes. So, <laughs> I mean, it just is, right? Yeah. I, I can tell the Ole Miss people haven't had to deal with this. All. Yeah, with Mullen, State fans, we, it was every season. We were like, well, yeah. they're just going through it again. I mean, it's been a long time since you know, Cutcliffe never really was going to go anywhere. Obviously, Orgeron and Nutt. And, you know, with right. Freeze, he had that little bit of that from time to time. You know, His name came up for some jobs, but it was never this this uh, intense, the speculation. So, yeah. you know. Y'all uh, gotta get, we'll this see. is college football. Maybe I, y'all got to get know. used to it. Come I on. know. It is such crazy. All right, before you go, your take on the uh, World Cup. Two big upsets already with Argentina and Germany going down. Argentina was my pick to win it all, and they still could, but that was a weird, weird game there. Um, we'll see, I'm looking forward to, to Friday, obviously, with the the U.S. and the and the English. I don't know how much of a chance the, the Americans have in that one, but it's been fun to watch thus far. There have been some upsets, and the, you know, the, the, the really good teams have looked good, and some of the good teams have not looked good. So it's been fun to watch. The whole setting is so weird, though, doing it. In, the, in in November, and, and with all the the stuff happening in the background, I, I mean, it really shouldn't be there. We all know it was a corrupt process yeah. and, and all that. But now that it's here, you know, it's it's kind of like you know, we, I talk about college football. I don't really care about the the rules and stuff. I just want to watch the games. <laughs> and it's a beer free environment, Brian. It's sands of beer. I can't I can't imagine it. The English must be going crazy, and the Germans be like, "What are we supposed to do?" <laughs> well. Uh, Rhino, who was that you showed me that's chanting beer or whatever in the stadium? Oh, the Ecuadorian team was chanting in Spanish, where's the beer, where's the beer, where's the beer, Just over and over and over. It goes together. It's, it's like turkey and dressing. Oh, man. I know this is a soccer song, but I always think about the Ryder Cup when I hear this song because the uh, European team plays it when they beat the Americans. Brian. There you go. Uh, well, we'll see what happens tomorrow night. I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, later on. Uh, good luck to the we Bulldogs will. and the Rebels. It's going to be a sloppy affair. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving, Brian. Good to see you. Thanks, Gerard. Happy Thanksgiving, buddy. 
We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, Studios, Super Talk Mississippi Middays on this hump day before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Eve. Yep. Middays with moi and good things with Rebecca, Rebecca Turner will be live Wednesday, November the 30th in downtown Cleveland celebrating the beautiful display of 50 Nights of Lights where over a million lights transform Cleveland into a winter wonderland this holiday season. Now through January the 1st, you can view the lights by walking down the trail or by driving, and it's all free. Looking forward to that. That'll be a week from today, I believe, next uh, Wednesday. So last week, I misplaced a check that was sitting in uh, the passenger seat of my vehicle. I had put a couple of envelopes to mail, went to the mailbox, dropped them off, and just noticed that, wait, that check's not there anymore. What happened to it? And I had already endorsed it. And the reason I did that is because I went by, I think, on Veterans Day, where the banks closed early. And so as I approached, I said, oh, shoot, there, I forgot it's Veterans Day, they're closed. And so I just put it there in my seat to come back by. And... It was returned to me. It turns out I dropped it in the parking lot Ah. out of my vehicle here, and some kind person who did not identify themselves, which is fine, sent it to me because it had my address on it. It was was from a a payer that included my address, my name and address in the the check uh, stub itself. So anyhow... They sent it to me. It arrived in the mail yesterday. And I just wanted to, if they happen to be listening, uh, I appreciate their honesty. And they're taking the time out to stick it in an envelope and drop it in the mail and send it to me. And just put a little bitty yellow sticky note on the face of the check. Just said, Mr. Gibbert, we found this in the parking lot at the Farm Bureau building. So your faith in humanity restored a bit. Good people. Good, honest people there, and I very much appreciate that. I had already spoken to the payor about uh, putting a stop payment on it and reissuing it and uh, informed them last night. And it turns out the person they needed to do that is out dealing with the illness of their, their mother. Mm. And, certain, and I said, look, just wait. It's fine. You know, uh, don't, don't go out of your way to do that. But it turns out they had not issued the stop payment yet, and so it all worked out. I just want to share that little bit of good news here on a Thanksgiving Eve. But, again, whomever you are, if you happen to be listening, thank you, and God bless you uh, for being honest and uh, forthcoming 
and I, I hope you have a happy and blessed Thanksgiving. So the good things happen. Oh yeah, yeah. And I had a a happy individual be kind to me one time. I went to Mardi Gras back in college, and I was young and dumb and full of vigor. And realized uh, after I had gotten back to college that I didn't have my ID with me anymore. I had handed it over to some bouncer or some bartender or dropped it out of my pocket or something, but it wasn't on my person. Yeah, and it still had my parents' address on the on the ID on the driver's license. And a couple weeks later, I get a phone call from my mom, and the first thing out of her mouth was, "Did you have fun at Mardi Gras?" And I hadn't told my parents I went to Mardi Gras, so I was thinking, all right, somebody snitched on me. Somebody told I'm in trouble. And then she just started laughing. And it wasn't until I went back home to visit till I realized why she was laughing, because she said she was going to drop the driver's license in the mail to me and get it back to me as soon as possible. But she kept the card that they sent it back with. And they had gone into one of the uh, adult novelty stores there on Bourbon Street, and had found a card with a whole group of about 12 cowboys wearing their chaps facing the other direction, but they didn't have anything on under their chaps. Interesting. whole bunch of butts <laughs> on the front of the card that they used to send my ID to my mom. That's uh, not something you'd expect uh, to come along with uh, your card that's being returned to you. So not only were they nice enough to send me back my ID, they had a sense of humor. Okay. (laughs) Well, anyhow, I'm grateful for that. So it is Thanksgiving. And take a second here. I I hope everybody reflects on it. It's a time to think about what you are thankful for, grateful for. That's what we do. Uh, on Thanksgiving Day, and and uh, that that's really the the purpose. I certainly have a list of things for which I'm thankful, and that would start, of course, with my family and uh, the health of my family and the welfare of them. Very blessed man indeed, with uh, a great uh, wife and two fabulous adult children, and their significant others, and a very appreciative. Of that, uh, I'm appreciative of uh, the opportunity here to be a part of this show and continue the great legacy and tradition of uh, of JT. Uh, very grateful that just crossed my path uh, randomly. You know, things like that work out in life. I certainly never saw myself in this role short three years ago. And uh, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to the way the the team here is, has embraced uh, my becoming part of it and uh, work side by side with you and so many others who make all this possible. It, it does take a whole, whole lot of work, as you know, to pull all this off every day, and, and uh, it, it goes off without a hitch all day, honestly, here. It's just a great group of professionals. I'm grateful uh, indeed for that, and I'm very grateful for m- my prior career and all the great folks. I miss them a lot. I ran into one the other day in the grocery store, and uh, unfortunately she she was um, disposed in, in, um, in a conversation and couldn't really talk a lot, but this person worked uh, at my company 20 or so years and, and still there with the uh, 
with the company that acquired mine, but I just sent her a text afterward, just let her know how good it was to see her, and just let her know that I missed everybody and missed working with them, and and um, she reciprocated, said that they, they missed. And I, I made my day, honestly. You know, you want to think that you left things in better shape that, than, um, than when you started them, which we certainly aspired to do and just build a great place to work. And so grateful for them that made our company successful and enabled me to uh, achieve my dream in that respect. I'm grateful to live in this country. Uh, in spite of its warts and its challenges and its issues, and Lord knows we talk about those here every day, but that's only because we love the country and and we want everybody to succeed and everybody to thrive and everybody to to um, be part of the American dream. We we believe in our founding, our founding fathers' vision, and we want to see that realized by everybody. And that's why I get so mad when we're stereotyped by those on the other side of the political aisle from us. And if we do that to them, we apologize. It's not our intent. We we may uh, be critical of certain individuals, but mainly it's their policies. It's it's their worldviews that with which we disagree, and we're critical of those because we don't think they're in the best interest of all Americans in the world, in fact. But how can you not be grateful for that? We are so blessed and all it takes, as you know, Rhino, because I know you, you read a lot about this and you pay attention to this, is what the way it is in other countries. There's just no comparison. No, And everybody that comes here says that. They're not heading for the exits here. They're heading for the entrance doors. There's a reason for that. There's a reason. We just want them to do it legally. That's all. But we have a government, unfortunately, right now that just is, doesn't even think there's an issue. Which, by the way, Kevin McCarthy, likely to be the next Speaker of the House, he announced yesterday that Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas of the Department of Homeland Security, he expects him either to resign or face impeachment charges. But certainly the way the border's being handled, he's, he's not upholding his obligation to the law. Simple as that. And on that basis, I think there, that is a grounds for impeachment, for his dismissal. And you hate to see us get into that right off the bat, but we've got to protect our country, and I think that's a critical part of it. I'm also grateful to live in the great state of Mississippi, and I'm grateful for our bounty here and the high quality of life uh, that we have here in Mississippi and and the opportunity to be involved in and uh, so many great organizations that are trying to do good work for the state of Mississippi. I'm grateful, of course, for our audience as well that uh, keeps us on our toes and is very engaging, but for tuning in and listening and watching, it's what makes all this work, folks, and we are appreciative of you. We'll take a break right here. It's Thanksgiving. We're giving thanks. I hope you think about yours as well. Text me if you want to and tell me what you're grateful for. Coming right back, final segment this hour, and then Dr. Jennifer Bryan after the break at the top of the hour. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Is it? 
everyone to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, just talking about what we're thankful for. I'm also thankful to the men and women who serve in the armed forces of this country, and also, of course, to our law enforcement, and in particular, we had Captain Turnipseed on from the Mississippi Highway Patrol today, the uh, troopers who work. And let's not forget about all those first responders, those who don't get a holiday necessarily, that have to work and uh, in hospitals and law enforcement, retail. I mean, there's just a, a number, convenience stores, etc., that have to keep the country rolling so we can enjoy a day off. But I'm grateful, certainly, to all of those good people uh, as well. What about you, Rhino? I'm thankful that I will get to spend some time with friends and family tomorrow. I'm thankful that I have my health. I'm thankful that Porch Cat's doing well and settling into the new place. I'm thankful for my new place. Even though it's more expensive, it's a lot nicer than I was living in, and I'm thankful to have good insulation. (laughs) It sounds silly, but at my old place, I'd be bundled up with the heater on and just think it was normal. Now I'm like, I can't quite figure out this central heat in there. It's too hot in here. But it's the little things in life that we take for granted that I, I do genuinely try to stop and be thankful for and it may seem silly but i'm I'm thankful for good insulation yeah i mean you're so right though that we get i think just as a, a a matter of the way our culture has evolved there's so many uh little things that we let just blow us up right and enrage us but yet just like insulation like you're talking about there's so many little things that really do provide comfort and convenience and quality of life to us that we just take for granted. And I, so I applaud you for pointing that out. Um, it's that incumbency thing I'm telling you I'm talking about. Uh, think about how fortunate we are that we even have a roof over our head and, and insulation and things like that. That Heck, there's a lot of – there are billions of people in the world that don't have that, as you know. There are billions of people in the world that they cannot walk into a room in their home, let alone their bedroom, and flip a switch. There are billions of people on this planet that still use oil lamps for light. So true. We we have it better than you're being sold. That's absolutely true. And that's what – and so whenever I get all fired up about uh, the left and its attack and its and – its, uh, attempt to degrade and demean and vilify and demonize the country. I just I get fired up about that. I had a listener that called me this morning, didn't get a chance to call him back, and said, "Man, you got pretty fired up about that. Everything's going to be okay." And I, I know it is. And so when you hear me getting uh, a, a little passionate like that, and and maybe raise my voice and and get. Uh, Sometimes I know I sound infuriated. It's just because I care, and I hope it comes across that way. It's 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 because we have such a good thing, and and sometimes we seem to lose sight of how the hell we got here, 
and we seek to tear it down. And I, I don't get it. I really don't. And we, we're all guilty, and I, I'll put myself in this category of we see something that's with which we disagree or it's not right or causing problems, causing harm, and, and we have a tendency to attach everybody to that that maybe is on that side of the political divide, and, and that may be unfair. And it's happening both ways. It's the same thing with this shooting at this LGBTQ club. I don't know any clear-thinking person that condones that and thinks that's okay. And when I see people on the left going after folks like Matt Walsh, I mean, literally there was an, an article that, uh, and he tweeted it, the article in, by the Daily Coast, who they're left-wing loons, let's just face it, the Daily Coast, KOS. In the headline of the article, Matt Walsh only upset more people weren't killed at Club Q. It's ridiculous, simply because he has been speaking out against this brainwashing, indoctrination, and thrusting of this radical gender ideology on our children. That's all. He exposes it, and they don't like it. So they can't argue with facts or anything that substantiates their actions, their behavior. So they just say, well, we just got to we gotta attack you and spread this kind of unfactual falsehood nonsense and bring you down. It's just not the way it ought to work. That, and that's why they want to suppress any, any thought or any communication, any speech, written word that conflicts with their own views. We got lots of text rolling in. Uh, we asked folks to tell us what they're thankful for. We got Dr. Uh, Jennifer Bryan coming up next. After that, we'll get to your text. Appreciate it, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Coming right back. Stay with us. And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday's Super Talk Mississippi, rocking into hour three of the program on this hump day. Joining us now, Dr. Jennifer Bryan, the Board of Trustees Chair of the Mississippi State Medical Association. Dr. Bryan, always good to see you. Good to see you, too, and I appreciate that. I'm past board chair, but thank oh, you for that. Board I, chair. I appreciate that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, you told me that last time. Uh, the mm-hmm. AMA delegation. Yeah, yeah, thanks. That's right. Yeah, we got it. But... Um, so, healthcare front and center continues to be a uh, a big issue uh, oh, in this country nationwide, and and I guess at least as far as the president's concerned, the pandemic is behind us from an emergency perspective, right? Right. right. But we still have uh, cases uh, on a daily basis. Uh, however, it doesn't seem that we're seeing as many that uh, are requiring hospitalization. 
thankfully. Intensive care. Right. That uh, maybe the disease isn't quite as, as serious and threatening, COVID, as it once was. Maybe that's a combination of vaccination and natural immunity, and, and maybe the, the virus itself just isn't as, as powerful. Maybe all the above, it. All right? of the above, and yeah. you were spot on. That's right. I mean, so, all of those things. It's, so that's it's good. Big, it is. We've got some good news, right? But uh, we had, her name escapes me, pediatrician on a few weeks ago um, talking about RSV. Mm-hmm. And how that has absolutely just ravaged uh, the the children's population in the state and nationwide. And in fact, I seem to recall that she told me that the very day before, at 5.30, there was a line of people outside the clinic, uh, I think in Hattiesburg, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, this was, this was children. I mean, it's yeah. a children's clinic. And across the board, it's RSV. Yeah. Well, first, let me let me just thank you for the attention that you personally have put on healthcare in our state because it continues. You're right. So COVID's better, and and we we appreciate that. It's still a thing, but in the wake of COVID, we continue to deal with uh, increasing respiratory diseases. You and I were talking just a minute ago about you know the precautions that we took that we needed to take for how bad COVID was in 2020 when it was at its worst and we had no tools and so on. We protect ourselves from other things. And the immunity there, while we have some partial immunity, it's not long-lasting. And so it's it's catching up with us that we're catching all of these things early. And, and the hospitals are beginning to feel the strain. Doctors are – my clinic is full of everything from mono to strep to flu to RSV, COVID. Everything is uh, it's seemingly back with a vengeance at once. Hmm. Well – uh, it's it's certainly uh, uh, also being exacerbated by the challenge of just having enough people. I mean, uh, businesses across the country, across all industries and trades, are struggling with just getting enough people to do the work. But this has been going on in healthcare. It was a problem before the pandemic. Yes, it ratcheted up. It amped up significantly as a result of the pandemic. We just have more sick people. You're you're so right. So more sick people, less healthcare workers. Although technology is catching up, uh, and and healthcare is learning to work smarter, not harder. And um, those things take time to evolve. But I am seeing that we are adjusting and and learning and. So there's a lot to catch up on, a lot of missed things over the past few years. All There's so much at the same time. And then the public, the unrest that's out there, we see that when you look at other headlines that are out there, the people in general are frustrated. Yeah. And that spills over um, into an access to care issue with frustration and long waits, as you mentioned. And so, you know, we ask for – we continue to ask for patience and, and are appreciative of the public as, as they work with us because times are still trying. Uh, they are some better in some ways, and as we enter the winter – it's going to get worse from here for a little bit. Uh, hopefully nothing like some of the nightmares we have experienced, but it's still going to be tough times. Yeah, and I was sharing with you before we came on the air that I, I caught a report yesterday on the Business Channel that uh, was from the, and I, I don't remember the exact formal name of the organization, but emergency care physicians Gosh, yeah. uh, that are sounding the alarm that it's it's crisis situation. Mm-hmm. E- e- ERs are, are filled. And then the problem is we don't have enough nurses in the staff beds to move them out of the ER, patients out of the ER, into beds when they no longer need emergent-type uh, care and treatment, sure. right? Sure. And then that clogs up the system as far as taking on new patients that need emergency care. It's so American, I guess, if we think 2019 and before that we kind of want what we want right now, and that includes health care. And sure. I wish it was 2019, but it's not. And so we continue to experience long ER waiting room 
weights even when we're not surging so december and january you know look for longer weights and and particularly we're eyeing the, the hospital situation and the emergency access across the state because when one closes there is no magical place for anybody to go and so it just compounds so it's all of the things you mentioned at the beginning of the show stacking up um, i had a family member last year and we were visibly the sixth one in the waiting room but there was no bed and we we just sat it's it's sad it's unfortunate but it is our reality well if you talk to anybody that has unfortunately had to go to the er because they had uh some emergency situation that warranted it, it it's uh it's difficult and the staff there are doing their best they to are. triage the patients but they got limited resources uh relative to the demand uh mm-hmm. from the patients that are coming in and They're, they were already burned out yeah yeah, that's right. Exactly. I had to take my wife like three or four years ago, you know, had a kidney stone issue in, in the middle of the night and uh, went to a local ER. And it, it was backed up even then in the middle middle of the week. And that was pre-COVID. Uh, and while she was in pain, you had other patients coming in that were experiencing chest pains. My understanding is they go to the top of the list when they when they yes. come in. Right, right, right. Yeah. right. Because that's life or death situation right. often. And there was also a patient I remember in there that was suffering a sickle cell anemia type mm-hmm. attack reaction. Painful. Very painful. And honestly, I felt so bad about that. I went to the triage nurse and said, is there anything you can do? I mean, it was bothering mm-hmm. me watching the patient there in the ER suffer like that. What's interesting, too, in the clinic side, um, it's it's day after day of a patient will come in and say, "Yeah, you know, I just need to let you know that I had trouble getting a call across or I didn't get a medication or a referral. And we have gotten used to saying, yeah, we know. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. I'm so-. And so we, we continue to evolve. And I think that's way better than it was even six months ago. But it is a learning process for all of us to adjust to less people and also less resources. We continue with supply chain issues and, mm-hmm. and medicines and so on. So it continues to snowball and the public can continue to help support. Yeah. You know, and, then, and then we have the business aspect of this, the economic oh, wow. aspect. And that's broken, clearly, and there there are warnings coming from, especially uh, from the community hospital, the rural hospital community. Uh, I had the Mayor Greenwood on uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and you got the Greenwood LaFleur hospital situation that, honestly, I don't see how they're making it day to day. I don't. I don't know what their path is out of this, and it is heartbreaking because my, my family's from up there. I mean, um to see to see what is happening there is is a is a tragedy. But then you know, fifty four percent of our hospitals across the state are at risk. And while I have typically advocated for physicians and physician practices and patients, you know, this all affects all of us. Yeah. If a hospital sets down shuts down, then the physicians are affected. They leave the community. The patients lose access. It's all connected, and the jobs that are associated with it, mm. the economic impact is is profound. But the access to care, which is already so difficult. In these trying medical times, it just is is really alarming. Um, but you know, we were talking there 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 are people looking at ways to to pull us out of this, and and I'm confident that um, we're going to move forward. We're going to look at it thoughtfully, and our leaders are looking at it and having hearings. The state and, senate, in fact, did conduct a, a hearing uh, on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and uh, and they came out with some recommendations. Uh, some of which I'm not quite sure of all the details associated with them, but one was to reduce or eliminate the hospital provider tax, and I think there is a tax on 
per bed, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. is the way it's levied. Increased supplemental payments to reflect average rates, not a percentage of Medicare. I think what that's saying there, uh, Dr. Bryan, is uh, we've explained that before. you got different reimbursement rates uh, depending on who the payer is. So mm-hmm. there's got private insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, and maybe some combination and all things in between. It's so dang complicated, nobody can tell you what it's oh. going to cost before something, and then after it, you're still confused, honestly, after you get it. But <laughs> So they're trying to figure out a way to make the supplemental payments that comes uh, from government to be more indexed, is the way I interpret this, to average rates across that spectrum as right. opposed to just Medicare, which is actually in the middle. And then create low-income payment pools. That kind of sounds like, to me, something in lieu of Medicaid expansion, maybe? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, it's the, the hot-button topic, and, um, and, and there's some interesting things that I've learned. You know, when I was chairman of the board, I, I created the, the task force that looked at a lot of this. That actually, before he was state health officer, Dr. Edney chaired, and we really looked into this and talked to the economic leaders, the other states, and different things, and so... What is being looked at are other ways, right? Instead of just, like, let's expand this across the board, traditional Medicaid, that's not really what people are talking about. There are some models when you're talking about you know, 200,000 folks that are working poor that have jobs but no access to that insurance, right? right? right. Um, how, how do we help those people? Let's and talk about that after the break. You can hang around. Absolutely. Yeah, we got yeah, Dr. Thanks. Jennifer Bryan in the studio. Stay with us. We're talking about health care in Mississippi. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back everyone, midday Super Talk Mississippi. We've got Dr. Jennifer Bryan from the Mississippi State uh, Medical Association, uh, former Board of Trustees chair. <laughs> so we were just talking off the air uh, about how to address this situation with uninsured, the uninsured population right. in, in in Mississippi and really across the country. But when I interviewed uh, Mayor McAdams of uh, Greenwood, she informed. As I recall, that 80 percent, 80 I'm shocked of care provided by that hospital is absorbed by the is done yeah. for free yeah, with, yeah. without yeah. reimbursement, no payment for those services. I don't see how that works. You got no revenue stream. Is eighty percent of what you're providing is not being paid for? I mean, that economics won't work. They don't work. They don't. So I just I just happened to mention that with the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. There, there's a provision in there that, that fairly dramatically expands the, the premium and the subsidy structure in the ACA exchanges, and, and it, what it does is, is it, it, um, it reduces the amount that a subscriber 
has to pay as a percentage of their income by increasing the income thresholds in this in the graduated scale. So for an able-bodied adult, which is not qualified for base Medicaid, right. that's what Medicaid expansion does, mm-hmm. is it extends Medicaid coverage to able-bodied adults. Currently, in base Medicaid, able-bodied adults are not a qualified coverage group mm-hmm. is what they call it. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, they could go to the exchange and get coverage if their income is less than 150% of the federal poverty level for zero-cost premium, and then get subsidies to help with their uh, their part of the cost of health care in the form of co-pays and deductibles and so forth. It just it seems to me like we ought to really be all over this. So two things. One, you know, um, certainly I think that people who do qualify for that should should be looking into it and, and checking into it and making sure, hey, is this an option for my family? But um, but the other issue, too, is, you know, I really the words Medicaid expansion, they, they've just become so difficult. But yeah. it's uh, the yeah. situation. There are ways to expand access to coverage that are not expanding traditional Medicaid, such as, you know, um, if we were to look at um, some of the federal dollars that have been available. We're now one of 11 states who have not accepted those federal dollars. There's access to private insurance plans like Arkansas has done. It provides competition in the insurance market. Monopoly effects seem to go away. Hospitals stay open. However, how you look at it, right, these are able-bodied families, as you said, that can work. And maybe the premiums many times are too expensive um, on the paying for the private policy. I've looked at those for a family member. They're, sure. they're very expensive. So these things are working, but it's how we look at them and how we do them. And I wanted to say something about sequestration. So when when the Affordable Care Act happened, a big portion of that was paid for on the backs of doctors and hospitals and other providers. We had $4 billion in cuts over the past decade in payments um, while we passed on the $10 billion, um, you know, in the expansion dollars. So Understand when we're looking at this that there are federal dollars that we took in cuts in providing care through a global pandemic. And I'm not sure people are aware of that. And so as as that is decreasing, there are federal dollars there that basically doctors and hospitals and others paid to to expand this and in the form of medicare reimbursement and our taxes and so on all of our taxes we are paying to expand in the other states so when you look at louisiana their hospitals are not closing arkansas so it's very complex there is somewhere in the middle a workable solution i am sure if we look at this well i I was reading uh yesterday the number of those enrolling in the um aca exchanges so-called obamacare is biggest ever I mean, it's off the charts. I was shocked at just how, how much that increase is. I'm looking for the exact figure, but it's substantial increase over prior years. I think that's because the subsidies are so much more generous, yeah. Yeah. and somebody's figuring it out. But in lieu of expanding Medicaid, we could do this. It's paid for. It costs the state nothing. And so those that would otherwise... Uh, be qualified to sign up for Medicaid in an expansion environment could go to the exchanges and get private coverage. And I think that you are you are right in the families that you know within that percentage poverty level we were talking about that can afford. It. Of course, they do have the copays and deductibles. And when you add all that up, I I, I hear you. And if they qualify, let's do it. But there are able-bodied folks working full-time jobs that cannot afford that, too. And so it's it's looking at the whole picture. Um, We we can't fix everything for everybody, but we got to start somewhere when we're on the bottom by a mile, as we've talked about. So 
there are ways to be fiscally responsible and also economically boom. I mean, right. when we look at this, it, right. it, the money into the community would be immediate. And we had, we invest in so many things around the state, you know, our people. Well, even the yeah. Hospital Association has proposed a plan whereby they would uh, contribute some to the state's share under Medicaid expansion. Well, what about this as an idea? Perhaps they could contribute to a fund that would that would at least cover some, if not all, of, of the deductibles and copays. And by the way, there's still cost-sharing reductions. They call them CSRs. Mm-hmm. Those are available at 250 percent of the federal poverty level and below that offset the majority of the cost of deductibles and copays. I wasn't I wasn't at the hearing, but I did see a soundbite or hear one from Tim Moore, and and they talked about that. But my understanding, um, you know, they're under significant financial problems right now, and that money that I think they previously put out there is it still there? I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good. good I mean, great idea, and and I think all ideas are on the table of how we get through this. But I'm very concerned about this 54 percent of hospitals that are at risk, and what that means for physician practices. We've worked so hard to get people into these rural areas. You know, if they can't deliver babies, where does the OBGYN go? They leave. Doctor Edney said uh, estimate of 38 of the rural hospitals statewide are in danger of immediate cuts in service or closures in the near term. So this is what this is what, and I want you to c- confirm this with me, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Brian, because you work in the industry. If that would happen, I know there's a there's at least a perception as we are rather comfortable here in central Mississippi. We, we've got great, high-quality health care, and in, in um, our demand and supply is not nearly out of balance as it is, let's say, in these rural hospitals. Mm-hmm. We, don't have, we don't have quite the economic challenges because we have more people that have exactly. private insurance, et cetera. I mean, right. those, that's just all part of the model. But if these facilities close, if 38 of these hospitals in the rural areas <laughs> close, that's going to get essentially dumped, and I, I excuse my crass language, on this community. Oh, yeah. That's what's going to happen. And also people will die trying to get to this community because you Correct. and I are used to jumping in our car and running down Lakeland Drive. It, it, that can never happen. I mean, as the, the people, I, I just cannot envision a time in which hospitals would just shut down and people would just not have a fit. I mean, it, it just can't happen that we lose that level of access. I do think we're going to go through some, some tough times as our, our leaders work all of this out. Um, I, I think, too, back on that MHA money, I'm not even sure if when they did offer it, did the state, did they accept it, or do they have a conversation? Because well, no, we could get Medicaid expanded. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's it's moot. There is, there is an answer somewhere in here um, that you know. I think South Dakota just just voted. They did. They, they just did, voted. Right. So there's eleven of us. And look, I mean, I want what's fiscally responsible and what's best. And I do think that there is. Well, I know that the numbers say the economic boom is there, the healthcare jobs that are created, and we are on the bottom. Yeah, we're on the bottom. I know. And the postpartum expansion to me is a low hanging fruit, but and that didn't get through either, yeah. as you know. But um, but at a minimum, though, it's this is law. This Obamacare enhancement that I'm talking about that has been passed into law, right? And and that's at least good for three years. But I have no problem uh, saying to the audience here: once you put things like that in place, even though they expire in three years, they're never going away. No. They're just never. I heard the same thing when Obamacare was passed. Oh, yeah, but the Republicans are going to come in and repeal it. No, they're not, ever. But so on the th- same thing, like in the in the 60s when Medicaid first started here and then again now, it's like, well, what if the money is taken away? You know, That's I never going to happen it, either. It, it, right, right. So not, it's, there are a lot of reasons to oppose Medicaid, and right. I was one of them. Me That's too. not a reason. 
That's not a reason. Saying that the federal government's going to wilt on you, they're not going to wilt on 40 states. No, That's just not going to happen. And I have to say, too, that even those who have been the staunchest, like we have lived through a really trying time, and healthcare workers are at their brink. And and what do we do, right? I mean, in, in even doctors, when you look at the national data, I think it's over the next three years that one in five are going to retire, quit, or leave. What are we going to do then? I mean, thankfully, we're increasing our medical school class size, but that takes time. So it's, it all works together on an access to care. And again, I, I heard Dr. Edney on here the other day talking about we're not just 50th or 50th by a mile. Right. right. we got a long way if just to get 49. Yeah. That's absolutely true. And that and that's disturbing as a Mississippian. And I, know, I, I know I can see it in your face and, and hear it in your voice. It bothers you, too. We, we're not being critical. We want to no. fix it. We right. want to make it better. We can come together on this. I know that we can because reasonable minds can come to reasonable solutions. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. But I, I hope if there's one thing that's taken away, I sure wish you and, and folks out there listening – that uh, know a lot about this and work in the industry would really take a hard look at, at these enhancements in the exchange subsidy model that just got enacted. We should be leveraging that, promoting that, seeing if we can't get people to sign up. It's, it's Maybe it's not 100% totally free right. like Medicaid, but it's better than nothing, and the hospitals get reimbursed. That's the important well, thing as well. I appreciate your passion and continue to spotlight what's going on in health care across our state. You know, it, it may get a little harder from here, and we, we, we just got to plow through. Appreciate so thank it. you. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone to midday super talk mississippi thank you so much for uh, joining us today it's uh it's complicated it just is and there're no silver bullet easy solution whatsoever uh, to the healthcare dilemma in the country and the state it, uh, it it is disturbing that our state ranks at the bottom of the 50 uh, with respect to uh, health care outcomes and and uh, percentage on Medicaid, which doesn't include expansion, doesn't include able-bodied adults and the amount of uninsured care. I mean, we're unfortunately, and I hope this is a focus uh, with our state government, this is, um, we're at the bottom of the heap in all of these measurements, and we got to do better. And and I think that starts with continuing to work to improve economic opportunity for our citizens, and uh, so so many employers, of course, from a just from a healthcare perspective, most employers, certainly of any size, do provide group health plans, and they're they're not cheap. But most employers pay a uh, some portion of those, and and in fact, by law, they have to pay. A certain amount, and uh, if if the employees' out of pocket costs exceed, uh, and the law recently reduced it, it was nine point eight percent. I think it's eight point three, if I'm not mistaken, was the number that the Inflation Reduction Act reduced the threshold to. And all that means is that your out of pocket expense 
uh, as an employee cannot exceed 8.3% of your, your income. Uh, otherwise, you are permitted, released, to go purchase subsidized coverage in the exchanges. And in fact, the employer has to pay a penalty. The penalty was intended to fund the, the subsidies in the exchanges. And and that uh, that gets a little complicated because there's something Rhino called the family glitch. Li- you can look it up. It's literally what it's called, the family glitch. And and what that refers to is this situation where you have, let's say, a couple, a married couple, and they both work. And they've got children. And they both work for employers that offer group coverage. So when you measure this, the affordable care test is what it's called, affordable coverage test, pardon me, this 8.3% threshold, does that apply to just that employee's pay relative to the cost of coverage with that their employer? Or does it apply combined? Does it apply to just individual coverage or family coverage? Anybody out there that's got group coverage through their employers, aware that there's individual, there's individual plus spouse, and then there's individual plus spouse plus in the family. So you got the different uh, different coverage types there, ca- coverage categories. Well, that's that issue has never been codified. And so there's a safe harbor. Literally, since the thing passed in 2010, that whole family issue uh, of, of the test, the affordability test, it's never been qualified. That's why they call it the family glitch, because the IRS says, we're not really sure, so here's a safe harbor. As long as it just applies to the individual, you're good to go. I should add that it is literally that glitch, that that issue for which there's a lack of clarity from the original bill that passed in 2010, the Obamacare bill, that is what piqued my interest in politics. Because I was trying to figure that out as an employer. Before anybody, in, in 28, I was, I was looking at it because I happened to watch Barack Obama one day surfing the news talk about his plans for health care reform. And when he was talking about the, what they refer to, what's referred to in Obamacare as the shared responsibility. You remember that term? Shared responsibility. And, and what he was talking about there was employers. And originally what they wanted was employers to pick up 75% of their employees' premiums, be they individual, individual spouse, or, or family. That was the original plan. And when I saw that, I started calling my lawyers. Hey, what does this mean exactly? And is this thing, you know, I, I'm doing some math here, and gosh, that would that would dramatically impre- increase my cost as an employer. I, I, I'm concerned about this. Gee, Gerard, we don't know until this thing's passed, until it's codified, we don't know. And I said, of course, well, I'm trying to make business decisions. This is a, a hefty amount of expense that... I could be forced to bear by the government that I just don't know about. I need, I need some faith, confidence, and certainty, as I've said so many times on the air. So uh, that's what really is what motivated me to pay more attention to politics 
in political and public policy, because before that, I'll be honest, I felt like, well, they're there, I'm here, I'm running my business, leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, I'll pay my taxes, just stay out of my way. And then I realized, well, no, I can't do that anymore, because they're wanting to impose something on businesses that is an expense they, uh, prior to that, prior to the law passing, didn't have to absorb, many didn't. And so that family glitch is carried on since then. It was talked about in Congress. You've seen it just recently, right? we got to fix the family glitch. and uh, But it's still outstanding. There's still a safe harbor. And if that were to be addressed, and somehow they were able to get a law passed, and so what made it... What concerned me, as I said, so you're telling me for every employee I have, i got to call their spouse's employer? Hey, how much are you going to pick up? Because I'll get the other part. How's that going to work? That's how nutty it was. You got to that spouse. I got this one. Okay, who's got the kids? You got those or I got those? Okay, we'll split. I mean, that's ludicrous when you think about it. And that's why it was just poorly, it was poorly conceived of. Because what they originally wanted was, no, you got to pay the whole deal, but they never thought about, well, what if both work? And they both have coverage available to them. So, uh, by the way, I got a question from a friend. Does this, this threshold of a, the affordability of test apply to public or private? This would be for an employer who provides, uh, offers uh, group private coverage to their employees. And, of course, employers are required to do so based on their size and, and I can't remember the other, uh, the other criteria that compels an employer to offer so-called uh, affordable coverage. And if they don't, you pay a penalty. You pay a penalty to the federal government. So I want to say 50 employees was the threshold on that. If you're over 50, you got to provide affordable what's called affordable coverage, and that's defined as, I think it's 8.3%. It used to be 9.8%, but uh, the recent changes reduced that. And, and, uh, and by the way, it, it, in general, 15, 18 million sign up for the exchanges this year. During the open enrollment period, it's estimated to be 54 million. 54 million. That's because you've got these enhanced subsidies that I was just talking about. Somebody's figuring it out. It's just not gotten a lot of, of attention here in Mississippi. And so this is a way for folks in Mississippi who uh, make less than 150 percent of the federal poverty level now ha- can get coverage. It used to be 2 percent. Two percent under one hundred thirty-eight percent, meaning that your premiums would not cost more than two percent of your income. Well, the enhancements in this recently passed Biden Inflation Reduction Act it bumped all the thresholds up in the scale, and uh, and it also uh, and so by doing so, the income thresholds and the in the income test threshold test of what would be borne by the subscriber out of their pocket. All that moved up as well. And so 150% below, 0%, meaning the premiums cannot be more than 0% of your income, meaning no-cost premiums. Well, that's what Medicaid is. It's no cost to the to the recipient, to the person enrolled in Medicaid, which mostly is children, by the way. In Mississippi, it's 400-some thousand children out of the 750 
uh, enrolled in Medicaid. It's actually more than that because, remember, one of the things ARPA did was said you can't disenroll anybody, right? During the emergency COVID situation, you can't kick anybody off the rolls if they're no longer eligible for coverage, and that's why our rolls have swollen. You've seen lots of of uh, discussion and comments from uh, from Drew Snyder that runs Medicaid Mississippi talking about that. Well, so now that the emergency deal may come to an end, I think that part of it is, now we're going to start testing folks on Medicaid, and people are going to get kicked off, and I, it's going to be, you're going to see uh, some commotion. I'll just put it that way about it here. We're taking a break here with King of the Road by Randy Travis. We're coming right back with more on Midday's final segment. Stay with us. King of the Road King of the Road You're listening to Midday's with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back everyone to midday Super Talk Mississippi. Well, it looks like uh, it was reduced to nine point one two percent. Nine point one went from nine point eight to nine point one two percent. That is the test on household income. The family glitch. Got to look into that. The IRS is addressing that, believe it or not, now, right now, trying to come up with something on that. And uh, that'll be put into place. But my gosh, they've made this so dang complicated. It really is. I don't see how a person uh, signs up, knows what the heck's going on. It's. Um, just well, that's re- the problem. They, they don't. They just go to the hospital and don't worry about that. I, I, you're, you're right to a great extent. And that's why I think that some effort. Which actually did exist early on. They call them navigators when Obamacare was first uh, enacted, and and they would help people. We don't have that anymore. But seems like that would be a worthy investment when you consider how many are showing up in the hospital, as we heard from the mayor of Greenwood, that don't have any coverage and therefore they're not paying for their care, and uh, it's causing economic problems for the institution. So hopefully we. Can can come up with something. Um, let's see here. We got some starting January 1st. The words codified and vigilant are no longer in the English vocabulary. <laughs> Tired of hearing those two words. Yeah, they do get they do get used a lot, certainly in our political uh, discussions, no doubt about it. What are you saying here, Thomas? Thomas sent us a book here. Our Republican supermajority better not expand Medicaid. What a slap in the face that would be to us. But are you okay, Thomason? Serious question. With accepting billions of dollars for rural broadband, what's the difference? Serious question. Was it the founder's intent for government to take my money and provide medical services for people who choose to buy that new car instead of purchasing insurance? <laughs> 
do you have any insurance, Thomas? Because, you know, if you're paying premiums, you have coverage and you're protected, but if you don't file any claims, you're just out the cost of the premiums. You're, you're paying to a great extent for the, um, the claims of others, many of which, honestly, are caused by people acting irresponsibly in their cars, their homes, etc., with their health, in terms of health insurance. I mean, that's it's both the, uh, the downside of insurance and the blessing of insurance, right? You, you, it's the miracle of it. You pull all your, your money together in a single fund and, and uh, in a coverage pool, and it covers everybody. That's the way it works. Some file claims, some don't. Robert from Oak Grove, there will still be a lot of people who don't get insurance, even if it was free. I think that's true. But why is that, do you think, Robert? That's what we were just talking about. Why Why are they not signing up? The numbers, however, do show that a dramatic increase, like double the number of people signing up in the exchanges, I think it's just because of the substantial improvement to the subsidies, to the credits. Hmm. My daughter sent me something here. This is from the President Biden. Top accomplishments for when chatting with your uncle at Thanksgiving from the White House. <laughs> I'm just looking at it. Tackling inflation and lowering cost. Who believes that? Took on big pharma and won. Lowering prescription health care costs. Worked with Republicans to rebuild America's infrastructure. Work with Republicans to make uh, make more in America by passing the Chips and Science Act. So the last two points, this is what I've been critical of Republicans for. I told you that by supporting those measures, they gave the Democrats ammunition. Look what we did. We passed these two bills, and you love these these uh, these measures, these laws now that are spending trillions on infrastructure and giving away subsidies to chip manufacturers. And Republicans participated. And without their participation, they don't pass. They gave them a gift before the midterms, in my view. Brought together Republicans and Democrats to pass the first meaningful gun safety legislation. Hmm? Despite global challenges, we're making progress. Meanwhile, Republicans in Congress are extreme. Oh, gosh. You knew that was coming. Wiley from Tupelo. So instead of regulating insurance costs, why not regulate health care costs? I'm I'm not for that. You want the government to control the cost of health care provided by private institutions? No. That's socialism. That's brutal socialism. They don't regulate the cost of insurance anyhow. To do at the state level, but even the cost is minorly regulated. Coming back with you on Friday, we're going to be uh, at Carter's for a remote. Carter's Jewelers, downtown Jackson. Happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe. God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.